Yeah, this is wonderful. The kindness you're showing to each other, the hospitality ties in beautifully with my message. Oh, I love it. What a great thing of a church. People have to be encouraged to stop visiting with one another and talking so we can continue on. That's how it ought to be. Yes, yes, Pastor Bill, the, the, the hand is going. There's, uh, there's the man in charge of our golf ministry. Listen, yesterday was the second time, right, that everyone played golf, had a great time. Thumbs up. I'm glad you all enjoyed it. Yeah, there's another person celebrating. Uh, I, I will say this, though. Sometimes, you know, it doesn't go how you want, and you have some rough, you know, you have some shots. And so you've probably heard this quote before. Bill may have even shared it. But if golf didn't go your way, remember what Billy Graham said. The only time my prayers are never answered is on a golf course. <clears throat> All right. Well, Billy Graham said that. You're in good company. All right. So don't, don't, don't beat up on yourself or feel too bad. I'm glad you were able to enjoy that time. A lot of great things are happening at the church, even this dinner for eight. I'll refer to that here in a little bit. I mean, that ties in beautifully with the scripture we're looking at this morning. We are in Acts chapter 28. What a journey we've had going through this wonderful book in the Bible, and it ends today. We're going to wrap it up, and I get the privilege of leading us through this final chapter. I think it was about 30 years from the beginning in terms of the start of the book of Acts to the, to the end of it, the events that we read about. It took about 30 years. It did not take us that long to go through it. We moved a little faster. I think it was only been about a half a year, but it's been wonderful. Pastor Jeff has... Uh, convicted us with scripture, he's challenged us, he's given us explanations and exhortations, and we've been encouraged at his sermons through this, this book. And then, uh, of course, uh, Bill, Josh, and I have filled in a little bit as well, and together we've learned that the Acts of the Apostles documents the events that happened to Christ's followers after the resurrection. In a sense, we get the play-by-play -play of the early church and how things developed. It begins with the command of Jesus in chapter 1, verse 8, for his disciples to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And in the books of Acts, we see it unfold just as the Lord commanded. Initially, the focus was on in Jerusalem, right? And they're sharing with Jews in Jerusalem about the resurrection, about the death of Jesus, what he was, who he is, and they shared that. It starts just like he said. And then in chapter 2, you remember the Holy Spirit is poured out on God's people. And in that moment, Jesus fulfilled his promise. He said, I'm going to be with you always, even to the end of the age. And in Acts 2, he proved just how he would do that. He couldn't physically be with each person as they were all over the world, but spiritually, the Spirit of Christ came to, to land on and fill believers. And that's true right up until today. That's how he's with us. Wherever we go on into eternity, the spirit of Jesus, the spirit of Christ fills us. So that happened in chapter 2 of Acts. Goes on from there, the apostles preach, work miracles. Thousands are led to Jesus. Everything was going great until once again persecution arises. And it culminates with the stoning of Stephen. And at that point, uh, this faithful believer in the Lord is martyred. He dies for Jesus. And then, then the disciples are scattered. 
But that just means where they go, the gospel goes. And they travel throughout Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. The passage that Jesus gave, Acts 1-8, comes true in this book as the gospel just goes throughout the Roman Empire. And that really took a huge step forward with the conversion of Saul, who became Paul, the 13th apostle. And he's the one we've been reading about now for the last several weeks as he travels over the Roman Empire, preaching, teaching, working miracles, leading people to faith in Jesus, our Lord and our Savior. And it's in this last chapter that Paul's journey finally reaches the destination he intended. We will read about the Apostle Paul finally making it to the capital city of Rome, where the Roman Empire finds its headquarters. Paul finally gets there. And it has been a tough journey, a long and difficult one. Pastor Jeff talked to us about that last week. Delay after delay, headaches. Have you had delays in travel? Have you had a few headaches along the way? I had a wonderful time talking to Stephen Kelly. They traveled not long ago, and they, uh, they were in the airport in Dallas. But they got there late enough they couldn't make their connection. And so what did that mean? They had to overnight in an airport. And they told this funny story, trying to find somewhere to lay down. And there was a restaurant that was closed, so they kind of snuck in there. And we're on, you know, the booths. You sit at a booth, so there's kind of a bench area you can sleep on. And they made it work till the next morning someone, you know, they got in trouble. Get out of here. You're not supposed to be in here or something. And they're just trying to get through, get through this experience. And if you've ever been trapped like that when you're traveling, travel can be difficult. I need to say, I, I, I laughed at their story. I didn't feel that sympathetic. The only time I ever had to be overnight in an airport was in Moscow. Lee and I were traveling. But they have little mini hotel rooms in the airport. So we just got one of those. I slept like a baby. It couldn't have been a better night. But sometimes it, it's not so good. The Apostle Paul had a whole lot of not so good. Oh, how he suffered as he traveled. But finally, the culmination of it all, he arrives in Rome. And we're going to read about that. We're going to read about what happens. And I, in looking over this chapter 28, there were a few verses that I thought, these are the perfect ones that not only speak of this chapter, they actually, I think, summarize what really happens throughout the entire book of Acts. And so I'm going to skip a little further to the end of chapter 28, and I want to read these two verses. My title is Convinced. I'm going to read verses 23 and 24 of Acts 28 if you want to follow along. Uh, Paul is here. He's sort of under house arrest. And in this house in Rome that he's renting at his own expense, one thing I read said maybe he worked actually as a tent maker during the day in his own rented house so he can make money to, to pay for rent and food. We know other times church, uh, the church's believers help support him. But he's in this house and in Rome, and I want you to hear now verse 23. Listen to what happens. When they had appointed a day for him, and that means all the Jewish leaders and, and just Jews in Rome. When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. Earlier in the chapter, a group of leaders visit him. Now everyone's there. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. That's what Paul does. 
He's been doing it all along, and now he's finally in Rome in a house, and he's just telling them about Jesus. From morning till evening, he's teaching about the Lord. And now I want you to listen. Listen to this. This is verse 24, because this is, in a sense, this isn't just Acts. This is the world we live in from the time Jesus came right up until now. Verse 24, listen to this. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. Isn't that how it is? That's Acts. Everywhere Paul goes, he talks to him about Jesus because he is convinced. It starts with that. Peter is convinced. Barnabas is convinced. Stephen is convinced. The Ethiopian eunuch is convinced. James is convinced. The centurion in Caesarea is convinced. Lydia in Philippi is convinced. Timothy is convinced. And the Apostle Paul is certainly convinced. And because he's convinced, he's trying to let everyone else know who Jesus is so they will be convinced too. Are you convinced? I hope you are. I sure am. There's no doubt in my mind, Jesus is Lord. He died on the cross for our sins. He defeated death. He rose on the third day. And by putting our faith in him, we are forgiven. We are his children, and we have eternal life with our Lord and glory. It's the most wonderful truth that's ever been shared, ever been given, ever been received. And I am convinced, and I'm so glad you are too. And we'll continue to share because we want everyone to be convinced, our family, our friends, our neighbors, our coworkers. We want them to know the joy, the love, the salvation that is found in Jesus. We want them to receive just what we have. And that's what Paul wanted. So from morning till night, he's just sharing truth. He was convinced. But then it says some weren't, some disbelieved, but others were Convinced. So we're going to take a closer look. That's just a great summary look at the book of Acts, and you could say even most of the Bible, all the Bible. But as we look at this, I want us to see three things that are true for those who are convinced. You're convinced Jesus is Lord, he's in your life. There's three things we're going to see in this chapter that I think are going to unfold in our lives at different points, different ways, different times. And they're just wonderful things I want us to look at. So these three things we'll see. Let me say a word of prayer, and we'll back up more to the start of the chapter and look for these three things that come with being convinced that Jesus is Lord. Heavenly Father, please use your scripture now to open our hearts to truth. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for loving us in Jesus' name. And I pray, Lord, you'd speak through me. You'd, you'd just use this time, Lord, in the scripture that we might grow that we might mature, and we would just, with our thoughts, our hearts, just glorify you. Have your way among us, Lord. We praise you, we thank you, and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, there's three things we're going to look at, and uh, the first word, each one just a word uh, as our topics, these three things. The first one is simply this word, hospitality. Hospitality. It's that kindness you show someone else when you're just hospitable to them. It may be in your home, it may be somewhere else. We're going to see it somewhere else right here initially. But it's just a beautiful word that, that Christians experience. It's part of our story, our lives. This wonderful word of hospitality, being hospitable. Uh, let me read. Here we go. Chapter 28, verse 1. 
Now, Pastor Jeff, real quick, by the way, last week and the weeks prior talked about this horrible storm and the shipwreck, and now they finally have landed on the island uh, that we're going to read about. Here we go. Verse 28, or excuse me, verse 128. After we were brought safely through, meaning through this horrible storm, we then learned that the island was called Malta. The native people showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all, because it began to rain and was cold. Hospitality. And we see it right here. These people see this shipwreck. They see all these people, 200-something, trying to get ashore. And they're watching it from the shore, maybe from their homes. Maybe they've gathered somewhere, and, and they're seeing what's going on. And now they have a decision. You know, stay where they are, you know, or do they go help? And they go help. Just picture them just rushing down to the beach and making sure everyone's okay. And then what does it say they do? They build this fire. And, you know, Pastor Jeff mentioned that Malta has this great sort of spiritual legacy, and there's believers there. And everything he said and what I've read is, I'd like to visit because these people are all right. I hope they're still the same way. Unusual kindness. Uh, It was actually a few interesting facts on Malta. It was under British rule until 1964, so everyone there speaks English. They drive on the left. Well, that's okay, I guess. They they use the euro. It's one of the smallest nations in the European Union, 17 miles long, 9 miles wide. It's about 60 miles south of Sicily. But here's what's interesting. It's considered an open-air museum because of the ancient streets and architecture everywhere. I'd like to go there, to be welcomed by people like that, and to see this open-air museum. And I definitely want to see the four anchors that are in a museum that uh, are from the shipwreck. You know, the irony here is that some translations refers to them as barbarians, and uh, which was a word used by Greeks. If people didn't speak Greek, they just thought, well, they're barbarians, you know. But there was, there was a negative connotation, obviously, with that word. And I'm thinking, boy, that couldn't be further from the truth because they show unusual kindness. They don't reject them. Do you have a permit to be here? You know, what are you doing here? <laughs> Trespassing, none of that. They welcome them. Well, it starts with all the people. And you know how sometimes they say people are influenced by leadership? You've heard that it starts at the top. We're going to read it now. I'm going to skip down to verse 7. You'll see maybe why they're so kind. Listen to verse 7. Now, in the neighborhood of that place, there were lands belonging to the chief man of the island named Publius, who received us and entertained us hospitably. For three days, three days, the chief, he would have been like the governor of the island. He welcomes them to his home. These are complete strangers. Now, I don't know if he welcomed literally all 276 people. That's quite an estate. How do you host that many for three nights? But he certainly welcomed a group of them into his home, let them stay there, and he fed them He cared for them. Paul, his traveling companions, certain of the Roman centurion and others, who knows how many. It starts at the top, and he shows hospitality. 
More examples, though. This chapter's full of it. Skip down to verse 14. They've now landed in Italy after wintering in Malta. And word gets out that the Apostle Paul is there, and they're going to travel by land now about 150 miles to Rome. And so the believers are hearing about the, the arrival of the Apostle Paul. And so now listen to what happens in verse 14. It says, there we found brothers who invited who, and were invited to stay with them for seven days. And so we came to Rome. And then in verse 15, and the brothers there, when they heard about us, came as far as the forum of Apius and three taverns to meet us. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. There's even more hospitality. Paul and his group, his traveling companions, arrive in this town, and the believers come out and say, stay with us for seven days. That's hospitality. We need to read that and say, Lord, open my heart to being more hospitable. I mean, I, I've never, we, we've never, maybe you haven't either, just as Christians arrive in your town, just stay with us for seven days. We've never met, but you love the Lord, we do, stay with us. There's a heart of hospitality. Then there's other believers who hear Paul is on the way to Rome. They travel about 40 miles just to greet him and escort him back to Rome. It's almost like a contingency you would send to uh, welcome a conquering general into your city. And they do this for the Apostle Paul and others. But the hospitality doesn't end there. Now if we look over to verse 30. Paul is living in his own home, and we've already talked about this. He's in Rome, and what does it say in verse 30? He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him. Paul has shown hospitality, and now he shows it as well as people come and see him and stay with him. In fact, in verse 23, as we said, people come in the morning and they stay all day long and he welcomes them into his home. And I read that and I thought, this is amazing. Huge group of people in his home from morning till night. And he's teaching and he is hosting. And I thought, was there a point where it's getting towards dinner and he's like, boy, it's getting late and your family probably misses you. Are you sure you wouldn't want to head home? Is he dropping hints like the guests that wouldn't leave? I don't know, because they're just there all day, every day. And he had a heart to welcome them and show hospitality. Remember how I said this chapter is sort of a fitting in because there's themes that we see throughout Acts? How did the book of Acts start? Chapter 2 is a famous description of Christians. Chapter 2 Verse 46, they broke bread in their homes. Right from the start, Christians were known for having each other in their homes and sharing meals together. They were very hospitable with one another. And it just goes from there. When Peter went to Caesarea, Cornelius the centurion invites him into his home. Mary invites the church into their, her home for prayer. Lydia invites Paul and everyone into her home in, Philippian, in Philippi. The jailer there does too, Aquila and Priscilla in Corinth. 
Even the Ethiopian eunuch invites Philip up into his chariot so they can share some time together. Hospitality, you see it throughout this chapter. You see it in the book of Acts. Do you see it in your own life? Paul was hospitable in a rented house, and he was under house arrest, but he still was willing to show a spirit of hospitality. And I want to encourage you to be the same way. Hospitality is such a wonderful thing. And you say, well, doesn't the scripture say that some people have the gift of hospitality? And then that means others don't. Yes, you're right. Some people definitely have that gift. And uh, we're in a small group, Ken and Paula, they have the gift. And they host us. It's wonderful. But even sometimes those of us without the gift can do our part. Last week, as an example, uh, Lee and I hosted the small group in our home. I don't, we don't necessarily have the gift, but we hosted people into our home. And you know what? It went okay. We got through it. When the guests arrived, they didn't have white gloves on and go like this. Hmm. They didn't do that. They didn't break anything. I don't think they stole anything from what I could tell. I mean, they're a wonderful small group. It, was, it just went fine. And I want to encourage you, be hospitable. But I also want to say it doesn't require having a home. You can be hospitable where you are. It's the way you treat people. It's the kindness you show. You can be at church. You can be at work. You can be in your own cubicle. And you just have a reputation of being the most hospitable person on the whole floor. There's just something about when people come up to you, how you treat them or how you seek them out. And people just feel like, man, there's, there's this hospitable, just kind heart that comes out of you and the way you treat people. And it can impact people. When I was uh, just out of college, I was in San Jose, and um, I was working for a company called Verbatim. And back in the day, they were like the brand of floppy disk. Okay, and you store data on these floppy, they literally were floppy, right? And, and that's why they said that. And I'm, I'm going way back on this story. But that's how, you know, you saved your data, right? It was a big thing. And then they made the smaller, the three and a half, whatever, the cartridge stuff. But, and you know, you remember. And so I'm working for this company. And I'm, I'm doing pretty well out of college, and it's, it's, it's a nice job. But I had on my heart to go into ministry. And I was seeking if it was of the Lord. And one night, we did a visitation. I was involved in a church, and I got to go with the visitation team. And so we went to visit someone with some of the others, the leaders on the team, elders. And we go to this person's house, and it was a guy who had had it pretty rough. He had just gotten out of prison, and he had almost nothing. But he had this little studio apartment in a bad part of San Jose. But he welcomed us into his apartment, you know, and had coffee or drinks for us. And we had the most amazing evening just hearing his story and how he had found Christ and how he just wanted to follow the Lord. And he wanted to turn from the crime and the stuff that put him in jail. And he had the most humble, sincere heart. 
And he was so grateful we were there that we came from the church. Because, you know, you go to church and maybe no one even notices or seems to care at all. But in this church, no, we sought him out. We visited and he, and he opened up his home. And I came away from that night telling people that was a turning point for me. That felt like the most valuable use of my time in that entire year. And I looked at all the hours I spent in business and that one visit that evening, and I'm like, this is what I want to do with my life. And it was a turning point. And now 30-something years later of a, a career pastoring and preaching truth and visiting and baptizing and this amazing journey the Lord's let me go on, I can go back to the hospitality of one guy just out of jail in a not-so-good little studio apartment in the worst part of town and how God used that to impact my life. When you show hospitality to people, when you open up in a loving and kind way wherever you are, you have no idea how you're impacting them. It might be a turning point for them because they're experiencing the love of Christ from you and they're having a moment where like, this is what I needed. And it can be huge in terms of life impact. And I say that from the strongest personal convictions because I've seen it in my own life. Start where you are, at work, in the store, in your car, at church. Start where you can. These people started on a beach. It doesn't have to be your house. It's where you are and where the need is. They showed hospitality on a beach in the rain. And they just helped build a fire to make everyone feel welcome and loved and valued. Start where you are. Start where you can. I love that we do name tags here. I look out, I see all kinds of name tags. That's a very intentional effort to make this a hospitable church. That people feel known and loved and valued. That's why that is done. Because when we gather, we are God's people, God's family gathering for worship. If you have family into your home, you know their names. I'm pretty sure, right? Your adult, your adult children come over. What's your name again? No, you know their names, right? Your cousin, your uncle, you know your family's names. So we do name tags because we're a family. One of the not so good things about the church over the years is it became more of a production. And even here, we have an audience. You're in rows of chairs. I'm up here on a stage. And it can start to push our mindset towards theater, towards a show, towards a production. And people come and they're in the audience, they receive, and then they leave. And, and I'm not saying this isn't a, 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 an effective format to preach the word and worship. That's why we do it. But we have to be very careful that we don't take it to mean we're just an audience and there's a production. That's not it. We're a family and we're gathering to worship the Lord who loves us and who saved us. We're a family because God has welcomed us into his family. And so when we gather, we know each other and we greet each other. And I would say, let's start by making this the most hospitable church of all time. Learning names, greeting people. I saw you in meet and greet, and I want to affirm you because you didn't want it to end. I had to kind of start talking, and then I kept talking, 
And finally, you got the hint, because you just want to talk to each other. That's a great thing. Keep doing that. And sometimes push yourself, though, because if you sit in certain seats, and I could tell I'm kind of getting used to where you all sit, you know. Uh, and maybe you have this thing. It's almost like this mental sort of parameter thing where you can only go one, you know, one row away from your seat when you greet someone, right? If you went two or three rows, it'd feel uncomfortable. Like, this is kind of scary. You know, I want to challenge you. Be, be uncomfortable and, and move around a little and get to know more people. I also want to challenge you. What a great thing that we have this dinner for eight. This is wonderful. You sign up, you say, and you don't have to have people in your home. It might be for whatever the issues or reason. It just doesn't work to have in your house. You can be in other people's homes. Some people will gladly host two nights. They'll cover your night right now because they are so wired to be hospitable. It's just their gift, but they want guests. So sign up for this. Couples, singles, doesn't matter. This is a great way to enjoy being together and growing as a family. Let's be hospitable. We'll read it here. Again and again, the Apostle Paul, these people on a beach in the rain, Publius, the head guy over the entire island, everyone is being hospitable and showing kindness. Let's do the same. All right, that's point number one. Let's go. That's the first word is hospitable. Here's the second word I want us to take to heart, healing. The second word is healing. Again, it's something we see throughout the book of Acts and throughout the Bible and we're going to see it right here. So I'm going back to the start of the chapter again. The fire is built. All the shipwreck survivors are there trying to warm up. And we've already had this moment referred to. Uh, Pastor Jeff has referred to it. It's a kind of a funny, weird, unusual story in the Bible. But I love it. So here we go. Verse 3. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire... A viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer. Though he escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. This is just the funniest story. And it gives us a little look into the, the mindset of these people. Now, I said healing is the word now, and we're going to see more of it in this chapter. Some of you might be saying, well, wait a minute. The Apostle Paul never even got sick, so how can you say he was healed? I'm Cut me a little slack on this one. I'm saying that even as the venom coursed through his body, God healed him instantaneously of the impact of that venom because he suffers no ill effect. I'm saying it's instantaneous as the healing and the deliverance. No serum, no medication. He just was fine. And what I also love, though, and this is part of the healing is how calm the Apostle Paul is about this whole experience. Admit it. If you were the one who put that wood on the fire, and this happened to you, might you have reacted a little differently? Here's a true story. As a kid, I had a pet snake. 
You know how kids are. They bug the parents forever about a certain pet they want, and the parents finally give in with reluctance. That was my story. I wanted this pet snake so bad. So I had this aquarium in my bedroom with a snake in it. I think it was either a king snake or a garter snake. Definitely wasn't poisonous. It was somewhat common if you're going to have a pet snake. And I was like, boy, this is, this is what I wanted so badly. Everything was fine. I got used to feeding it the mouse. You know, you, with the tail, you lower it in, and nature takes its course, okay? And this is all part of, of having the pet snake. Well, sadly, one day I come home from school, and the aquarium's empty. The snake has somehow got out. Well, as you might expect, my mom wasn't real happy to hear this news. And she was even less happy when she was in her bedroom cleaning and down behind the curtains, the snake appears. Yeah, she let out, let out a scream that, yeah, I, I can still hear it to this day. Um, she, she didn't take it, take it too well, which didn't go that well for me either. But thankfully, the snake was caught and put back into the aquarium, and everything was fine. But the point I want to make from that story is her reaction is more how you would expect. Just like this freaking out. Like, and yet the Apostle Paul, when this thing comes and latches, and imagine just the fangs and that hissing sound. We were in small group, and one of our small group members was great at sh pretending to be the snake, <sighs> like this hissing sound. I'm not going to embarrass Art by mentioning him by name, but it was, one of the, it was one of our small group members who was really into this. And you imagine just the, the, the normal fear, but not with the Apostle Paul. He's fine. He's trusting in the Lord. And this actually is a fulfillment of scripture. Uh, Luke 10, 19 and Mark 16, 18. Talk of believers and then this time in Acts not being harmed by snakes. And Paul is healed instantly. And we're going to see another example of more of healing. But I want to make an aside here. The Apostle Paul has been through so much. I mean, the things he's endured as he's followed Jesus. And here's the point. Even when you're convinced that Jesus is Lord and Savior, you believe, you serve, you follow, sometimes you're still going to get bit. And that had to hurt. And there had to be something in him like, oh, come on, Lord. I mean, he wasn't even supposed, he told them, don't go into this storm, this boat, don't do it, trust me. But they wouldn't listen to him. So he endures this horrible storm for weeks can't even see the light of day. It was the worst storm imaginable. Ends with a shipwreck. He went through all that, starving for much of it, finally eats, gets through all of that. And now he's being a helpful guy on the beach, gathering wood with everyone else. And out of 276 people, not to mention all the islanders, this servant of God is the one guy who gets bit by a deadly viper. Yeah, God healed him, but it had to hurt. And there had to be a point and he's like, oh, Lord, really? <laughs> After everything else? And you're going to have those days as a Christian. God protects you. He heals you. He's got you. But you're going to get bit and it's going to hurt. And just keep serving Jesus. Just keep trusting him anyway. Just like the Apostle does.
it just shakes it off and it drops into the fire. But this was another example. The Lord promised the Apostle Paul, Acts 9.16, how much he would suffer for his name. And he did. He was imprisoned, beaten, stoned, almost to death, struck, whipped, verbally, physically abused, shipwrecked, and now, of all things, even bitten by a poisonous snake. It will hurt, but don't let it derail you. Keep serving the Lord Jesus, just like Paul did. Let me give you another quick aside on this one before we move on. Be careful of snap decisions and drawing conclusions too quickly. We see that with the islanders, don't we? They do just like the apostles did. There was a point where uh, the apostles saw someone born blind. And so they said to Jesus, this is in John 9, 1 to 3. They said, who sinned? This man or his parents? See, they saw misfortune and they thought this has to be a judgment for sin. If someone's going through something rough, God's judging them. These people react the same way. That's the only reason the viper bit Paul. God's judging him. It must be a murder. It must be this or that. It's a snap decision based on misfortune. But Jesus says, it's not because not of his sin or his parents. His blindness is so the glory of God could be revealed. With the apostle Paul, when that snake bit him, the glory of God was revealed. God used that for good. He not only healed Paul, he opened the hearts of everyone to what his God, Paul's God, the one true God, can do and who he is. God used it for good. So they make this snap decision. Then they go the other far to the direction when they say, okay, he's not this evil, horrible person. He must be a God. Well, he had the Son of God fill him the Spirit of God, but they were wrong in that conclusion as well. And so I think one of the sides from this is don't be, be unusually kind like they were, the people of Malta, but don't be so quick to make snap decisions. Seek the Lord and arrive at a godly decision. Well, we're still in this to topic of hospitality. I want you to see another example or a few more examples here. The next one I'm skipping down to verse 8. We've talked about Publius, who's the governor of the island and it says in verse 8 it happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery and Paul visited him and prayed and putting his hands on him healed him and when this had taken place the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured again we see healing it shows up through the Apostle Paul in large and small ways, but it's just throughout the island. About a half a million people in Malta uh, live there now. I don't know how many then, but this had to be the most healthy, glorious winter this island has ever had. Because of all things, this guy who arrives with a shipwreck, bitten by a deadly viper and lives, is now the healing he received He's sharing with the entire island in Jesus' name. And the description has a couple of different Greek words. So the initial healing of Publius' father seems to just be instantaneous. It happens that quickly by the power of God. 
But then the next way that they were cured in verse 9 gives the impression it could have been quicker or it could have happened over a period of time. But whether it's quicker or it takes longer, there is healing. And I want you to know as a Christ follower, you will see healing again and again in your life. You will pray for people and you will see the Lord show up. And sometimes it's almost miraculous it happens so quickly. Other times it's over a period of time. Sometimes God just arranges details. He works even through modern medicine. But you will see all the ways God just answers prayer again and again. And he gets the glory when healing comes. But we have to go to him in prayer. I had a friend years ago who told me a story. She was uh, over a daycare. And there was just this simple little story. She had this little boy, one or two years old, had a diaper rash, would not go away. And mom had tried all the different ointments and things. She had tried different things. And it's something she was used to seeing with her, her daycare. But in this case, it wouldn't get better. And so she actually had him wrapped in a blanket for some sense of comfort. And she's holding him, and a little girl just comes over. Or a little, little two-year-old, three-year-old and ask what's going on, and she tells this little girl, and the little girl says, well, have you prayed for it? And she's like, oh, uh, well, I, I don't know if I have. That's actually a, a good idea. Let's do that. So this cute little, like, three-year-old girl prays for this little boy to be healed. And my friend who had the daycare said, I've never seen anything like it. It was like miraculous healing. She didn't tell me if it was like before her eyes the next day, but she said she couldn't believe it. I mean, she did. She's a Christian, but you know what I mean. She, she was absolutely just overwhelmed. The simple prayer of a little girl by faith, and God answered. And it was just a beautiful, maybe small story, but a reminder of how good and near and, and big our God is and let's go to him in prayer i love how they start by showing hospitality and god blesses them in turn with healing the healthiest winter that island probably ever had as they're healed again and again and again paul is healed of a deadly viper bite and what he receives he gladly gives and i do love the spiritual sort of symbolism here too because you remember who showed up in Genesis chapter 3. Satan. In the form of a serpent. A snake. A viper. To destroy God's work with God's people. And I do love the symbolism as he shows up. Almost like this last ditch effort. To do away with the apostle Paul. But God said no. I have more for you to do Paul. And so he protected him, and he healed him. He was told in Acts 23, 11, that he would testify in Rome, and God made sure that he got there. And this illness wasn't going to keep him from completing the task God had for him. And that's why we pray for healing. We know one day our good Lord will call all of us home, and we'll be with him in glory forever. But until then, he has work for us to do. He has a call on our lives. He's changing us. He's making us more and more like his son, Jesus. There's people we need to love. There's people we need to share with, to serve, to help. 
we have a call. It may not be as historically known as the Apostle Paul's, but you and I have a call just like he did. And every time God heals us, it's so we can carry out the good work that he has for us. And it's beautiful to watch it unfold. And so we see it here, healing throughout the Bible, throughout the book of Acts. And right here, we see people who are healed in Jesus' name. Well, the final thing I want us to look at, the third word is testifying. Testifying, testifying, teaching, witnessing. You can use different synonyms, but Paul is telling people about the Lord Jesus Christ. I already read 23 and 24 where he's testifying from morning till evening. He is a witness as he was called to be Jerusalem, Judea to the ends of the earth and he is living it out. And we see it throughout the book of Acts. Peter preaches in Acts 2. Stephen witnesses. Philip preaches. James, Barnabas, Aquila, Priscilla, Apollos, they all witness, they all testify, and Paul is doing it here. And then we see specifically how. If you look back at verse 23, it says he's testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus from both the law of Moses and from the prophets. He probably pointed to Isaiah. Because the Jews were so focused on the truth of the Old Testament, the law and the prophets. So it's very likely that Paul, as he's teaching and looking at the scripture, brings up Isaiah 53. Verse 5 of Isaiah 53 says, He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. He would have been able to read Isaiah and explain to the Jews, this is Jesus. He died for our sins on the cross. He was punished for our transgressions. This is fulfilled in Jesus. And he just developed an argument for the Christ based on the Old Testament. And then it even says, out of the law of Moses. You remember Exodus 12, when they had the Passover lamb? And it said, no bones on the lamb shall be broken. Then Paul could have read that. Then he could have developed what it says in John 19 about Jesus on the cross. No bones were broken. And it was very deliberate of God and unusual because the other thieves, the others on the, being crucified on each side of Jesus, their bones were broken. But they get to Jesus, he had already died, so they didn't break his bones. That's very much of God. Paul would have developed that argument, pointing to the Passover lamb and saying, Jesus is the Passover lamb. John said that about him. And he just went through the scripture to teach and develop that Jesus is the Christ. And who did he do it with? And I want us to take this to heart. When he got to Rome, who was the first people he sought out? The Jews. Well, wait a minute, why was he in Rome on trial, in captivity? Because of the Jews. They spent years trying to destroy him, trying to kill him. He's only there because of the persecution of the Jews. And yet, who does he seek out first? The very ones who are trying to destroy him. What a story that is.
And there's been people in your life who have hurt you, who have lashed out at you, who have wounded you deeply. Let's be like the Apostle Paul and just continue to seek them out in love, to forgive, to show grace, to show mercy. Though they've wounded us, to have a heart that says, I still care about you and I still want to see you come to faith in the Lord. Paul seeks out the very ones who have been against him. And so he shares truth, as I've, sh- as I've said, and some are convinced there are more Jews who now believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior in Rome. It's wonderful. But others don't believe. And then they disagree, they argue, and so now Paul steps it up and he gives them a more serious warning, you could say, as he quotes from Isaiah. And that's there at the rest of the chapter. I won't read it all, but this is from Isaiah 6, 9 to 10. He says, go to the people, say, you will indeed hear but never understand, you will indeed see but never perceive, for this people's heart has grown dull. With their ears, they can barely hear their eyes are closed, or they would see and their ears would be open. He quotes a scripture to give them a warning, hoping maybe that will penetrate their heart and they will say, have I been that way? Have I hardened my heart to the things of God? Please don't let that be true, Lord, and that maybe it would lead them to open their hearts. But now it says very clearly he is called to the Gentiles. And in a way, thank God for that, because that includes me and many of us, maybe most of us, who aren't Jewish. But we have received Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Well, I want to say under this word of testifying that even though Paul was in prison under house arrest, the testifying did not end. For two years, remember how he was in Caesarea waiting for two years? Now he's two years in Rome until he finally sees Nero. But what does he do for two years? He makes the most of it. He testifies to the Lord Jesus Christ. Anyone who comes to his house, he tells them about the Lord. And not only that, he gets busy writing. And it's there that he wrote the the prison epistles of the letter to uh, the Ephesians, Colossians, Philemon, and Philippians. Not only that, he mentored and taught others, Luke, Aristarchus, Timothy, Epaphroditus, and even Mark. He's using his time to glorify the Lord by teaching others and writing books of the Bible, even while under house arrest. And he didn't stop. And I just want to end with the final two verses of chapter 28. Let's see how the book of Acts ends. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. The NASB translates that word unhindered. And may we be the same. May we be a people that say, Lord, I want to talk to others about you. I want to pray for them. I want to let them know of the church I attend. I want to just share my faith however I can. You have a testimony. You have a story, and it can impact people's hearts. And I encourage you, share when you can. Let's be unhindered. Let's seek out those opportunities. And when God puts them there, and we never know. I was on the Catalina Flyer just 
a week ago, coming back from the island, and I start talking to someone, one of those sort of acquaintance through a person that I knew of this person, I've met him for the first time, and, and the conversation led in the direction, I shared my testimony. I invited him here, and he had a church where friends had invited him. I did not expect that at all. I didn't expect to even meet this person on that boat ride, let alone be sharing my testimony. We never know when God will open those doors, but let's be ready. Let's be unhindered. Let's not hold back. Let's just share the love of Christ when we can, how we can, whenever we can. And that's what the Apostle Paul does. Doesn't matter if he's on a beach getting bit by a viper or chained in a cell or under house arrest or on a ship. It doesn't matter. He's going to tell others about the Lord. Let's be the same way. Let's testify about our Lord. So we conclude this amazing book, the book of Acts, that records the beginnings of our church, of all churches. What happened after Jesus died was buried and rose. Lighthouse, like every other church, could trace its origin back to the book of Acts because this is when churches are planted in towns all over the Roman Empire. And years ago, a church was planted right here, and we're still blessed to serve Jesus and follow him here at Lighthouse. When you reflect on this book, you may have certain parts that are your favorite. Maybe your favorite is chapter 2, where the Holy Spirit is poured out. Maybe it's in chapter 3, where Peter says to the crippled beggar, Silver or gold have I none, but what I have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Or maybe you love Peter's vision when believers could eat any and all foods and you traced your freedom to enjoy the crispy bacon all the way back to that chapter in the book of Acts. Maybe there were other passages that just spoke to you. One of my favorites, though, really, is when the Apostle Paul is on the road to Damascus and Jesus himself shows up in a big way. He knocks him to the ground. He blinds him because he wants him to realize without me, you are blind. And then he opens Paul's eyes so Paul could see. He could see Jesus for who he was, who he is. The son of God and the savior of the world. And I hope he is that to you. Because once he is, you never look back. You give the rest of your life, everything you are, everything you could ever be, to the one who saved you. Forgiven your sins, given you new life. It's the most glorious truth. And we read about it all in the book of Acts. The apostle Paul thought he had it all figured out and he was against those Christians. But after that moment, he wasn't against them. He was among them. And he gave his life to serving them and loving them and helping them follow the same Jesus who saved him. And may we be the same giving our life to the one who saved us and loves us so much. If there's anything holding you back, I hope today as we just conclude, I'm going to pray that you would just yield that to the Lord. May we be a people of hospitality. May we be a people who pray and believe in healing. And may we be a people who testify to the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this amazing book of Acts. It's your words. 
that you have given to us, Lord. We thank you for every single one of them. Thank you for the time we've had studying and learning. You've challenged us, you've encouraged us, and you've guided us into truth. May we obey it. And Lord, I pray for anyone who's watching or who's here who doesn't know you, may this be uh, a day where they just open their heart. They stop looking in the wrong direction and start looking to you. Believing in Jesus, confessing sin to him, finding forgiveness and hope and life. Lord, I pray every heart here will be open and humbled and yielded to you. And Lord, I pray you would carry out the good work you began in us, in this church, in our homes, in our jobs. May we turn from sin, Lord, and follow Jesus. And we just love you and we praise you and we thank you for the sweet salvation we have that is for now and forever. In Jesus' name, amen.
everybody. 